We are grateful. We praise you. Jesus, we thank you that, that in the midst of storm and strife, God, bad days, you can give us the ability to say, it is well. Jesus, because you stand before the Father interceding on our behalf, saying, no, that's, my, that's mine. They belong to me. I cover them. God, because of that truth, we can say, it is well. Lord, when we lose everything, when everything is taken away from us, Jesus, thank you that we can still say, it is well. Because someday, that trump will resound. And you, Jesus, will descend. And even so, then, I will say, it is well. So God, I just pray that for your people this morning, that wherever they've been, wherever they're going, God, that your presence would rest in them. Lord, as today we talk about weakness and each other and how sometimes it's hard to share that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust in you. Jesus, help us to find our strength in you. Lord, that when Paul says in our weakness we are strong, that that would really be true in our life. So God, I pray for your people. I pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, and you would open our ears to your word. Jesus, that we would see it and that we would not look back. That we would see it and we would not be the same. But that we would be changed by the words of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. There's an optical illusion that's easy to fall for, even if you know the trick. The more distant you are from other people, the more invulnerable they appear. You see yourself as you are, with your flaws just as clear as your successes. But you see most other people on their terms, only from the side they present to the world. And at first glance, they've got everything figured out. With everything set in stone, securely embedded in their community, wrapped up with their loved ones, their lives like a finished work of art. But it's only just a trick of perspective, because you can't see the cracks from so far away, how insecure their footing, how malleable they really are, how many years of effort went into shaping their persona into something acceptable. How many other hands it took to build their lives, which are still only ever a work in progress. It's the kind of basic human vulnerability that we'd all find familiar, but it's still somehow surprising when we notice it in others. It's an open question why we have such public confidence and such private doubts. Maybe that contradiction is what keeps us moving, wanting to be more than what we are, and never be satisfied. Maybe it lets us keep our distance to avoid too much friction as we brush past each other. Or maybe it's what draws us together, the only irreplaceable thing we still need each other for. Just one last excuse to keep stopping by, so we can prop each other up and remind ourselves that nothing is set in stone, not even who we are, or who we pretend to be. Or who we pretend to be. 
I wonder if you really know the person that's sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. You might know their name. You might know where they work. You, you, might, you, might, you might know them really well. You may not. You may only know who they want you to know. And the challenge is going to be through the course of this series is at the very least to honestly let someone know the real you. How scary can that be? You know, you watch these investigative shows and there's always a tell. They always tell you there's a tell. You can tell when they're lying by the fact that their left eyebrow raises or their pupils dilate or whatever. But, but we get so good at putting on a facade that oftentimes there's no tell. And all of a sudden, someone takes their own life and they're gone. And we didn't know, we had no idea. Or a relationship fractures beyond compare and, and, and we had no way to help them because they wouldn't let us know that they were failing, that, that they had weakness, that they were hurting. And we're going to be challenged by that. And I hope that you will stick with us as we go through with this. Now, this piece of pottery up here, and it's going to be on the screen here in, in big... There's a tell there. All right, that, that right there, it's, it's called kintsugi. It's a Japanese method of repairing broken pottery. It was invented in the 15th century. There's stories behind that which we don't need to tell. But essentially what they do is they take a lacquer and a powdered either gold or uh, platinum or silver and they put it together in this way so that it's useful again. And quite honestly, there's another one in that... In that it, well, not quite as... It wasn't quite as high def as I thought it was. Um, that makes it pretty something broken that's essentially restored and made, in my opinion, even more beautiful. And in fact, it's, it's sort of a spiritual thing for the Japanese who created this. Um, they say their philosophy is that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. When we fix something, we kind of, you know, you fix a pot or something or a cup at home, you hope that you can't hardly see the crack because you want it restored to its original, what it looked like before. And, and I think as we consider what God does in our lives, that's very true of us. As, as He grows us, as He, he nurtures us, um, that, those scars that get healed, those experiences that we share with other people become a part of our story, become a part of our history. And it's not something that we should look at in shame, but, but something that we should stand on this side of it and go, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. Now, we all have breakage, don't we? I mean, this morning, um, we're, we're looking at weaknesses. Uh, idiosyncrasies, if you will. That, that's, it's kind of a description that I read in an article this week. Um, and we all have them, right? Quirks, flaws, peculiarities. We all have little things, or they could be big things that bug us about who we are, right? Those things that you wish you could change or that you wish you didn't have. Maybe it's a big nose like I have. The only time I ever recognize it is when somebody else points it out to me. I, I can sort of see it, but not really, even though it's right in front of me. Um, maybe it's shyness. Maybe it's overconfidence. Uh, maybe it's a lack of musical ability or athletic prowess. Maybe we have a short temper or a big mouth or both. Uh, time after time, our weaknesses can get us into trouble, can't they? 
They embarrass us. We wish we could get rid of them, but they don't seem to be going anywhere soon. Now, I am convinced that God just doesn't love the good parts of our lives, but He loves the weak parts of our lives as well. In fact, He uses them. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to tell a story, and I, uh, this is as good a place as any. That last song that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul, it moves me every time. Not just because the words are true, and can be true, but because the guy that wrote them, what they meant to him. Horatio Spafford wrote those, those lyrics. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in the city of Chicago, owned Chicago front property, um, was married, had, I don't remember how many children, I'm trying to remember this story from, from, uh, from memory, which isn't very good, as you well know sometimes. Um, so I don't know how many kids he has. I know that, that at least one or two of them died um, before this tragic event happened. Then the, the great Chicago fire occurred, and he lost all of his property. It all burned down. It was all gone. Everything that he owned was gone. So he was, he was talking to a friend of his, and his friend was going to go to Europe and, as an evangelist. And he said, hey, Horatio was a Christ follower. He said, why don't you come with me? There's nothing here for you now. Why don't you come with me, and, and we'll, we'll minister to the people in Europe. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. So they, they, they got their tickets to go on the ship across the ocean, and um, it turns out that there had to be this big meeting over all of the property owners in Chicago that he had to be at the day the ship left. So he says to his wife and his children, you go ahead, I will follow. And I don't know how, how communication happened then. Um, it wasn't immediate, so it could have been weeks. He gets word from his wife, and it was a very simple message. It was essentially, there has been a great tragedy. There was a great fog. Our, our ship collided with another one and sank, and his wife was the only survivor. So I had not only lost all of his personal property, he's lost all but his wife too. She's like, what should I do? Should I come home? He's no, you stay there. I will, I will come. I don't know, again, time frame, I don't know. But when he's on the ship and he's going across the ocean, he made a point to tell the captain, please let me know where, when we go over the place where, where the ship went down. And, and it was after that, and at that moment, he began penning the lyrics to this song, It Is Well With My Soul. See, there's meaning behind the sea billows roll. That's not just a picture, a vague picture for us to picture. Can you imagine being someone who could say, it is well with my soul, as you look back on something that tragic? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We all can. We can all sing that in earnest. No matter what it is we're going through, no matter what it is we've been through or will go through, as people who are in Christ, we can say, we can say, it is well with my soul. Now, I, me personally, my, my, some weaknesses that I was thinking of this week, I don't have a good memory. I already mentioned that. I'm not good at, at, at administration-type things. Terrible at it. Honestly, I'm not gifted in that. I'm terrible at video games. The ones where you have to think fast, right? Terrible. Frustrates me when I play with the family because I get crushed every time. 
I'm not that great at math. I now call my son to find out answers to math questions. I don't like poetry. Um, I'm definitely not an artist. There are times when I wish I was. Um, I can't play the piano, as much to my mother's chagrin when she finally got me through book one and just said, forget book two. Nope, ain't going to happen. I can get obsessed with silly little games. Definite weakness of mine. And I'm terrible at slowing down and relaxing. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. There's other things too. More grievous and serious weaknesses and shortcomings. But here's the thing. This morning as we look at our passage, I'm not talking about sin. Because oftentimes we think, man, I am so weak, I give in to temptation, etc., etc. That's not the topic of this morning. The topic of this morning is weakness. Is weakness. And that's not sin. How we're going to be looking at it. And here's the thing. I'm not perfect. I have imperfections and idiosyncrasies. Everyone in this room. Some of you, they came to mind of your spouse sitting next to you. I know it did. Okay? So, uh, here's point number one in your notes is this. I have weaknesses. If you believe this to be true, fill that in. I have weaknesses. You know, they say um, the, the, the only place to start in overcoming a problem is to admit that you have a problem. And one of the things that we need to admit here this morning is that we have a problem putting up a front for other people to see that's really not us. And what often happens, when you get frustrated with someone, when someone doesn't live up to your expectations, oftentimes what you're really finding out is who they really are. And honestly, that's okay. We need to recognize that that's okay. Because they could look at us and say, you know, you failed me too. The... the the challenge is being open and honest and working through those things. I have weaknesses. Again, I'm going to repeat it. I want to be very clear. We are not, to, our, our passage today is not talking about sin. It's not talking about sin. Paul is talking about struggles in life. Um, it, Look at Psalm 103, verses 12, 13, and 14 up here this morning. He, God, has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. God, God takes care of that. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Here's the thing. God knows you. God knows me. He created us. In fact, he created us with some of those weaknesses. He formed us in the womb. See, if we all had all of the same strengths, how boring would life be, honestly? We would all just do the same things. We wouldn't be a body like our physical bodies, like the Bible uses to describe the, the family of God. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers that we're only dust. Here's the thing. At least the psalmist doesn't record this. God knows how weak we are and He doesn't automatically fix us. He takes that into account as we struggle through life. Who likes to be a part of a family where the father or the mother holds everything wrong the kid ever did over their heads for the rest of their life? Or who expects them to be something that they will never ever be? 
you've seen the commercial, right, where, where the mom and dad are in the, they get in the, the car and the kid is in his little peewee football uniform and he gets in and, and uh, the, the dad's like, great game, man. And, and, and he's like, he's going to be a great football player, blah, blah, blah. And the mom was like, he's terrible. He doesn't have any of the gifts to be a football player. I mean, mother was right. Mother was right. So do we push that kid and push that kid and push that kid to be a football player because we want him to be? No, not if you don't want to really mess him up. You want to find out who he's been created to be and nurture those things. Include those things in in being a part of the family. Notice that God removes our sin. He forgives them. He he forgets them and He helps us live free from them. But He doesn't necessarily remove our weaknesses. So what do we do? Our only option is to follow what the Bible says. Now, I have a friend whom I've never met. And he would not consider me his friend, but I consider him mine. Uh, I think he responded to an email one time. Okay, and, and here's the here's the story. I, I get this thing called Mikey's Funnies. It's the joke of the day. I've been getting it for years from this guy who at one time worked for a, a Christian ministry and then he he separated off and he's doing his own thing and he's doing this all on his own now. And and through the course of, of receiving these, he, he promotes ministry things to uh, to injured soldiers and to other things and people send cards and notes in and, and I feel like I kinda know who he is because he's he's sort of been been transparent through the course of, of this uh, this email in, in communicating who he is. Well his kidneys failed. And and of course he asked us to pray for him, and I have been praying for him. And he recently had a kidney transplant. This is what he wrote. My kidney transplant surgery Tuesday morning was a huge success. My new-to-me certified pre-owned kidney is cranking. It woke up in a body full of accumulated toxins that my failed kidneys and dialysis couldn't clean out the last few years. All key measurements show that it is operating in peak condition, working hard to clean house. So thankful. I lost a lot of blood in surgery and hardly slept in the hospital and had have a lot of pain at the incision site. Can't imagine why. But all went so well they discharged me Thursday evening. My own shower and bed never felt so good. I'm recovering well at home and trying to stay ahead of the pain. Discovering what my new normal looks like for the next few weeks the taking 21 meds each day. I call that my new kidney insurance. All of them ensure my body won't reject my new kidney. This next month is critical as the new kidney needs to fully heal and connect with no interference from the immune system, which naturally wants to kill it since it's a foreign body. This process started with three 10-hour infusions in the hospital of a drug that killed all the white blood cells in my body. Translation, no immune system. Once that healing happens, they will slowly allow my immune system to regenerate over the next few months, but I will always be suppressed to some degree my whole life. Some of you know someone who's gone through a kidney transplant, and you know this story. A lot of follow-up appointments and labs all this month, a lot of dietary changes and learning to be a germaphobe, plus learning just what my new status of survivor really means and how to approach each new milestone and day as they are bonuses. 
This guy's had a great attitude. And always learning just how deep my gratitude goes for God's goodness and mercy, Stacy's ability to keep me alive and focused, my angel donors, Emery and Glenn, and the incredible army of supporters and prayers who make up our great cloud. Your continued support and prayers are greatly appreciated. Then I got this one. Folks, folks have been asking how I'm doing. It feels kind of like slowly rotating out of the dark side of the moon. How's that for dramatics? Last week was tough with the side effects from the prednisone infusions. His kidney started reject, it, his body started to reject the kidney. So they, they, uh, they put him on a high dose of prednisone. But Sunday evening, he says, I started feeling some relief and a bit more each day. Yesterday was the first day I felt like walking in the yard in a week and at 88 degrees. He's in California. From here on, it's low-dose oral prednisone for about a month. At that point, I'll have another biopsy of the kidney to see how it's responded to the treatment. And then he says this, I don't know how my story will end, but nowhere in my text will it ever read, I gave up. Onward, he says. What's next? These days, extra days that I have, he says, are bonuses. They're bonuses to my life. It is well. I can hear him saying that. It is well. So weakness isn't just what we would call shortcomings. It's also infirmities. Disease, sickness, struggles in life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1-10. through 10. I want to repeat it. We all have weaknesses. <laughs> we all have weaknesses. Yeah. The trouble I see with myself and others, however, is our unwillingness to admit that to other people. Like the little video introduction. We want to hold them at arm's length, lest they know how weak we really are. We put on a huge mask so that people so that people don't see our weaknesses, or we put up this facade so as not to just shield others from the truth, but to convince them that we're somebody we're not. Oh, problems? No problems here. I'm doing just fine. My wife and I, oh, we're doing great. Kids are doing wonderful. And all along, all behind the scenes, things are, things are falling apart. Why would we think that that's a good idea? <laughs> Pride, self-preservation, self-righteousness, something. Well, if I let people see how weak I'm, and, and hurt I really am, they might think less of me. Well, if we're operating within what Paul is going to communicate to us here today, it, they won't think less of you. They will come alongside of you. And they will walk along the process with you. Now, in the context of our passage this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. But, but in this context, because Paul is boasting, he's going to say don't boast, but, but in the previous chapter, we see him listing all of these things that he's done and these experiences that he has. And then in the first seven verses, he says, man, I have experienced some amazing things. 
And, and he does this essentially to show that these apostles who he's preaching against, who are making up all of this stuff and saying, well, we're so good because we know this and you should listen to us. And we know something better because it's different than Paul. Listen to us. Paul says, no, 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 no. I mean, if they want to compare strengths, I'll show you strengths. And then he goes down the whole list. You can, you can read chapter 11 for yourselves. And, in, and then in the beginning of chapter 12, he says this, I must go on boasting. Wait a minute. Isn't this a little counterintuitive to what you're going to tell us in a moment? A, a little bit. But Paul is making a point. He says, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He's like, all right, if that wasn't enough, and there's nothing to be gained by me continuing, however, I want you to hear this. He goes on, and he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now, it's, it was common in the culture of the day for a person, if they're talking about something that's happened in their life, that's extraordinary to talk about them in the third person. He's describing himself. And his, his readers know this. But what he's saying is, this isn't the point. All of these things that we can do, these strengths that we have, no, it's not about that. It's not about that, Paul says. We should not boast about those things. And he says it right there in 5. If, there, if there's going to be any real boasting going on, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. What? Who does that? Do you know anybody in your life, yourself included, who boasts about your weaknesses? Be honest. Or, or have you ever used the word delight, which we see in our passage today? Have you ever delighted in your weaknesses? Why would that be? Because we think we somehow have to be this strong person to be a good Christian. We have to be this strong person to be, to be a good contributor to the family of God. That's completely the wrong place to put the attention, Paul says. Religious self-righteousness is not good. That isn't what distinguishes us from the world. And, and that's actually one of three observations, one of three truths that I find in this passage. Point number two, delighting in our weaknesses distinguishes us from the world. The world doesn't do that. Have you been watching ESPN lately? For the most part, they talk about how good athletes are and how good a player they are and they boost them up and they give them awards and, and all of that, the... the you know, the Grammys and all of that stuff. Whoever watches those anyway, I don't know why they have them, but um, it's all to prop people up and say, oh, look how great they are. Look how great they are. Look how great they are. And if we really knew, and we do, what the lives of actresses and actors and a lot of athletes are like, we see that they're just as imperfect and weak as we are. Aren't they? And if they're relying on those things... To give them a reason to live, it only takes a busted knee to bring that dream crashing to the ground. And then what? And then what? You see, when we focus 
on things that the world focuses on, things that we could boast about, Paul says, it really makes us just a part of the world. When, 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 when you're sharing with a friend at work about something that's weak in your life or, or something that's happened that's a tragedy or somebody has ridiculed you and, and you responded like Christ, they, they probably look at you with jaw wide open and go, are you kidding me? Who is this guy? I'd have punched him in the face. No, Paul says, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Set your, on, set your sights on pride, the world says. Arrogance. Promote yourself. And unfortunately, that also leads to the tearing down of others, doesn't it? Because we find that we're weak and that others are stronger than us in certain situations. So instead of just acknowledge, acknowledging that I'm weak in that area and that person is actually better than me, what I try to do is tear them down so that somehow I look better than they do. Now, Paul has obviously grown in this area himself because he then testifies to a way that God deals with us. Look at verse 7. At the end of verse 7. Therefore, we've already looked at the why, the, the what the therefore is therefore. Now, Paul says, since we're so disposed to boasting, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. The second observation and the third point is delighting in our weaknesses distances us from our strength. That's not natural for us. We want to be strong. But we know, deep down inside, that we have a lot of weaknesses. The weakness or infirmity, I believe in this case, was given to Paul in order for him to be humble. It's, that's how it says. I was given a thorn in my flesh. Who gave him that thorn in his flesh? God did. Now, that thorn in his flesh is not sin, but it's some kind of weakness. It's something that Paul obviously wanted to overcome because he pleaded with God, God, take this away from me. Maybe it was, maybe it was a sickness or something that caused him to be, to be really weak and maybe it was a bum knee. I don't know what it was. Something that, that, that decreased his effectiveness as a missionary. But the answer that he got was not, okay, be healed. It was, you know what, Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, you are made strong. Now, we're all given spiritual gifts by God. Those, however, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, are not to be used for us. Therefore, everyone around us and for the world. That is about God, not me. Now, it's possible, in fact, I would even say probable, that God is not interested 
in removing many of your weaknesses. Who likes to think about that? Think about that. We want to be strong, but maybe, maybe we should, instead of trying to be something that we're not, trust that His grace is sufficient for us. Maybe God is not interested in you not having quirks or not having hardships in your life or not being insulted by other people or having difficulties. He knit us together in our mother's womb, the psalmist says. We were created with some of them for a purpose. And delighting in them moves us closer to our reliance on Jesus Christ than on our own abilities, doesn't it? That's that's what I want us to go home with today. Paul pleaded for this to be removed. We pray that way, don't we? God, get this weakness out of my life. Take it away. Fix it. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me slow. It makes me tired. It makes people think I'm weird. Thank you, Garrett. There was a missionary who was talking to a friend in a third world country about poverty and about the struggles that those people face. And they were talking about prayer. And this third world friend said to him, you know what? There is a big difference between the way Westerners pray and the way that people in a third world country pray. He said, people in, in the West generally pray that whatever weakness, whatever struggle, whatever it is, they pray that it would be removed. That God would fix it, that he would take it away. This person said, generally speaking, in a third world country, take, for instance, a person in a, in a land that's in a famine the likelihood of that famine being relieved in their lifetime is probably next to zero. And he said, so their prayers then become, Lord, would you please give me the strength? Would you please strengthen my back so that I might be able to make it through this? Not not remove it. Strengthen me. Teach me. There's some in here who if they were to tell you their story, you would be amazed at what God did in their life. How He didn't take this weakness and remove it, but how He showed them a different direction in their life. How He's using them today. Now, Paul often repeats the word weakness or infirmity. The 11th, 12th, and 13th chapters as being a word from Christ Himself. The Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. Let me repeat that, and maybe you should write this down. The Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. You see, our strength becomes His rival. Our weakness, His servant. Drawing on His resources and showing forth His glory. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. 
God's way is not to take His children out of trial, but to give them strength to bear up against it. So what does Paul do? What should we do with our weaknesses? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Our final truth this morning is this. Delighting in our weaknesses displays Christ in us. Displays Christ in us. Not us in us. But he said to me, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's when I'm relying on the grace of Christ in my life. Are you here this morning and you're without Christ? Surrender your life to Him. You can't save yourself, but His grace is sufficient for you. In Him, that's where you're strong. Your weaknesses are people insulting you because of what you believe. Do you have difficulties in life? Hear the words of Jesus this morning. His grace is sufficient for you. You can say it is well with my soul because of Him. Not because of your money, not because of your power, not because of your position, not because you have two kids or one kid or ten kids. Doesn't matter what car you live on, drive. Doesn't matter what car you live in. It's true. His grace is sufficient for you, and that can only happen by the grace of Christ. Are you sick? Do you have a disease or a disability because of an accident, or maybe you were born that way? Your strength is actually found in your weakness. Because His grace is sufficient for you. That can happen by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. And then those around of us will see it too. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's delight in our weaknesses. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yay, I'm weak. I don't think he means to get on Facebook and list all of your deficiencies. But it's when we're together with one another and the subject comes up or something and we say, you know what? I'm really struggling with that. I'm really weak with this. Or we're, or we're spending less time on trying to be something that we weren't created to be and more energy on, on, on being what Christ wants us to be. I, I, I probably mentioned this too much, but you know the movie Rudy? He should never have played football. He was too small. He didn't have the gifts to do it, but he spent all of that time and all of that energy for what? To play, what, two plays in a football game? 
ever just think if he'd have taken all of that all of that energy and all of that time and, and money and whatever he spent and and invested it in what God had actually created him to be in his weak unfootball person that he was. Where are you at this morning? I say let's forget being something that we're not. Let's be willing to be open and honest with people around us in the weaknesses that we have because we are all weak. We all have hardships, difficulties. Maybe this can occur in your small group, maybe one-on-one, maybe with a spouse. More often than not, our spouse already knows what our weaknesses are, but we defend them because we don't want them to think that we're weak. She knows the truth. He knows the truth. Kids with your parents, parents with your kids, let's delight in our weaknesses for the sake of Christ, Paul says. For His sake. Really not for ours. It's for His Delight in your weaknesses. Let's admit them. Allow God to use them in our lives to show His power and His strength because that's when we will truly be strong. I hope you wrestle with this this week as I have wrestled with it. Now, next week we're going to go deeper into the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We're going to talk about brokenness. I didn't have time to get one. I wanted to bring a pot up here and break it. I have one on my shelf in my office. Sarah wouldn't let me break it. It wasn't a gift, but she picked it out in a long time ago. Is this the time we have a new one? No. You know, some of our brokenness comes from being dashed on the rocks by someone or something. His grace is sufficient in those situations. Some of our struggles in life, some of our weaknesses are just because we were created that way. Let's just be open and honest and say, you know what? I can't do that thing. And I'm not going to try. And I'm not going to convince you that I can. You're just going to have to be fine with the real me. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Ah. Lord, I, I, I know that what I have presented today, you will take and you will work it in the hearts of each person in this room in a specific way. Thank you. Thank you for working in my own heart, my own life, the way that you have. And Lord, I pray that, that as we leave these doors, that we would remember that it's in our weaknesses that we're strong, not in our strengths that we're strong. Because it's about you, not about us. Help us to live that way this week. Help us to parent our children that way this week. Help us to treat our boss and our employees that way this week. And Lord, my prayer is that as a church, as the body of Christ, as we go through this series, that you will teach us things about us that we have never been, maybe we've never seen them before, or, or maybe we will share something with someone that we have never been willing to let them hear. And Lord, I know that as we do, and as we all do that with the same intention and the same mind, 
that when we hear someone share of their weaknesses, we're not going to take that and try and prop ourselves up with what they're falling short in. But we're going to walk the road of life together as sinners who are saved by grace, who have weaknesses, and whose weaknesses you want to use. Lord, as we take up this offering and as we sing this final song to your glory, may we serve you faithfully this week. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.